And you remember we've been working through this for oh, a few weeks now, and we're talking a little bit about what the Christian life's supposed to be like. What does God expect of us? What does he desire of us if we are to be sanctified? That's set apart unto him. But as I was looking at the verses for this morning, verses 11 and 12 of First Thessalonians 4, I realized that when we are living our lives to honor and glorify God, it benefits us as well, and it really deals with stress. I don't know, how many of you have ever felt stress? Any of you ever experienced stress? Yeah. It's pretty common in, a, in America today. It's pretty common in the, in the Bay Area. Life goes whizzing by at a dizzying pace, and... <laughs> There's so much to do and so little time to do it, and we, we've got to get it done, and when we finally finish it, we realize that we've only done it about half, and we haven't done everything we wanted to do or the way we wanted to do it. There's things to do, people to see, demands on our lives, drive the kids here, drive the kids there, soccer moms, softball moms and dads. Uh, boy, it just seems like there's all kinds of things pulling at us and pulling us different directions. And uh, we feel kind of stressed out at times. And so as we come back to our passage this morning, it, it kind of deals with that. I, I think Simon and Garfunkel had it down in one of their old songs about what life should be. It says, slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for fun and feeling groovy. We don't do that very often anymore, do we? Because it seems like there's always something to do and some place to go and somebody else went there and we've got to go there and i got to return that text. Boy, I have a few of those that I need to get out. Hello, lamppost, what you knowing? I've come to watch your flowers growing. Ain't you got no rhymes for me? <laughs> Doot and doo-doo, feeling groovy. Groovy. Got no deeds to do, no promises to keep, and I'm dappling and drowsy and ready to sleep. Let, let the morning time drop all its petals on me. Life, I love you. Oh, all is groovy. Groovy. Probably most of you don't know what that term means. It was probably a term that was important before you came along. I think you have to be something like uh, 60, 65 or older to know what that really is. Uh, to be groovy, if I ask you what is groovy today. I, I We have a prayer time before we start. And... Uh, David kind of thought he knew what it was. David Bevilacqua Corwin had no idea. And, uh, and uh, Paco said, yeah, I'm groovy. <laughs> you know, that, that, that term has changed a lot since we used to use it. Now the 60, 65-year-old, you say, whoa, you're groovy. What they're talking about is you're, your body has ripples and your face has wrinkles and you're groovy. It's kind of changed, hasn't it? Groovy. I'm not going to define groovy for you this morning, but, uh, you know, Wavy Gravy knew what groovy was. And uh, some of you don't even know Wavy Gravy. How many of you remember Wavy? Wow, thanks, Al. <laughs> wavy, and, and it was uh, amazing. But we want to talk this morning about this passage and a little bit about how it deals with how we're to live for God and we're going to talk uh, about how it delivers us from stress if we apply the principles that are here. I think that's so important that we do that. And so let me begin by reading to you from uh, verses, well, I'm actually going to go back to verse 9 and start there, and then we'll, we'll begin our study as, as we get a little more into it. 
Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And you remember we talked about the two different loves a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the idea of phileo, which is an emotional love. It's the love for somebody we care about, a brother, a sister, a family member. I love my church. People that are close to me, there's that emotion that's there. And then it goes on, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love. And we talked about this being God's love. And it's not so much determined by our emotion as our will. I desire the best for you. I want the best for you. The, the new commandment, the Lord gave us a new commandment that we are to love one another even as he has loved us. By this, all men will know that we're his disciples if we love each other. And so that is a command from Scripture that we are to love. And we talked about that idea of love. It goes on, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Love each other to an even greater extent. And then he goes on and gives us the principles for this morning and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business, to work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Boy, those are important things for us to learn and for us to apply. But you remember as we started the passage, it talked about the fact that we are to be set apart to God. We are to be sanctified. Sanctified comes from that term for holy. Just as God is holy, we're to be holy. We are to become like Jesus. That should be our desire. That should be our drive to become like like the Son of God. You never will become God. Jesus was God, but we should certainly apply those principles and the the behavior we see in his life, and we are to become uh, like Jesus. And it talked about the idea in terms of that, that there is uh, moral purity. Uh, We're not to be uh, living as the Gentiles do. We're not to be immoral. There is to be a, a purity within our lives, in our conduct, in the way we act towards others. And so we are to see that as part of our lives. And, uh, Then it went on and talked about the idea of love, as we've already mentioned. And then in verse 12, it begins, or verse, yeah, let me go down to 12, and it tells us why we're to be like this. So that, that's the purpose. This is why you're living this way, so that you will behave properly. That your conduct will be proper towards those who live around us, towards outsiders. You know, uh, Corwin and I were down at a seminar this week, and it was on... Uh, church health, and it talked about the fact that uh, the average person in the church, probably 80-90% of the people in the church believe the church is for them. It's to meet their needs. It's to care about them. And then they said the average pastor between 80-90% to would say it's to reach the lost and help them grow in Jesus Christ. God called us to reach the lost. He called us to be evangelistic. He called us to care about others. And so we are to behave properly. That's the idea. It's to regulate our lives to live in a godly manner. So that my life displays what God wants me to, whether it's my conduct or whether I'm dealing with my finances, getting my finances in order or my emotions. 
boy, keeping my emotions in check, no more road rage, you know, got to quit that one. Every aspect of life needs to demonstrate my relationship with God. That's the, that's the goal. The ultimate mission is to be a witness before those who live, for, for those who would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they don't know him yet. Let me just take you to a couple of verses. I'm going to be sharing uh, a number of verses as we go through here this morning, but back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 7. First Timothy 3, 7, it says, And he must be good, and it's talking about a pastor, an elder. It says he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so there is to be an evidence in the life of the pastor that would draw people to Jesus Christ. He's got a good reputation. In the book of Colossians, in the fourth chapter, in the fifth verse, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech be always be with grace as those seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And so we are to have a mission. Uh, they talk down there about the fact that every person within the church ought to have a ministry. They reinforced and emphasized the idea that pastors are to be leaders. They're to give oversight and leadership to the church, but every person in the church should have a ministry. It may be out there as a greeter uh, when the kids come in on Sunday morning, somebody to welcome people if they're new ones, to take them to the teacher. If there's somebody coming in and wanting to go in with the kids to say, well, they're busy right now. Our teachers ought to be able to have that freedom just to teach and not worry about interruptions. Uh, there's all kinds of ministries, greeting people in the parking lot on Sunday morning or uh, maybe working in the yard and keeping it looking good. It, it makes such a big difference when people drive by, by how our facility looks. And so there's a ministry within the church for you. There's a mission, though, in the world. And we have a responsibility to share the good news with those who... Don't know Jesus Christ. We have a mission group going out in a couple of weeks. They're going to be going down to Modesto, and they're going to be sharing uh, the good news of Jesus Christ with migrant workers in the camp down there. And you can be part of that. There are different things going on. I'm sure that Corwin needs help with. He needs you to be praying from this day forward for the results of what's going to go there. And every one of the people that are going down, they need your support in prayer. Uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, I, I don't know about them going you know, what's it going to be like? Are they legal? Are they illegal? It doesn't matter. Fact is, they're legal. Because they have to get a reference to stay in that facility. And because of that, they probably got their green. If they're not, if they're not citizens, they probably have a green card. They have a work visa. And they're there. But it doesn't matter because Jesus Christ called us to go into all the world. And it doesn't matter where they are to preach the gospel. And what an amazing opportunity. And so if you can help out financially or in any other way, boy, I encourage you to do that. Our goal is to share Jesus. In, in verse 12 again, it says, so that you will behave, you're going to live this way, so that you will behave properly 
toward outsiders and not be in any need. Well, verse 11, let's go back up to it. And it says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, and that's the very first thing we need to do in terms of our lifestyle here, is to lead a hot, quiet life. Not hectic, not out of control, not busy, not go, 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 ball tired and worn out. Some of you are here about how tired I am and how busy I am. And I've even heard people say, well, we don't want to have too much going on in the church. And, and I figured it's because you're so busy outside. We're to live a quiet life, not a hectic one, not a, to be tired and worn out. I, I think it's kind of when he's talking about leading a quiet life, it's the opposite of that Northern California life, that Bay Area type of life where we're always going and going and going and people talk about how busy all they are all of the time. It says, make it your ambition. Ambition means it's your desire. It's what you aspire to do. Uh, it's used, that word, a number of different times within the Bible, but one of them is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. And it says, that should be the one I'm at. Yes, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, that's what it says. Uh, but that's not the verse I'm looking for. Anyway, it talks about whether you're at home or away from home, whether you're dead or alive, you are to make it your ambition to be pleasing unto God. It's to be our ambition to lead a quiet life. It should be something we strive for, something we desire for. It's that we're not to be all stressed out. Uh, boy, slow down. You move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Slow down. I think sometimes, I, I read about a secretary, I think this was Bryn, and it was during VBS week. And she said, when this week is over, when the rush is over, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I earned it, I deserve it, and nobody's going to take it away from me. Just busy. But listen to this. Ease the pounding in my heart by quieting my mind. Steady my hurried pace with a vision of the eternal reach of time. Give me, amid the confusion of the day, the calmness of the everlasting hills. Break the tension of my nerves and the muscles with soothing music of the singing streams that live in my memory. Teach me the art of taking minute vacations, of slowing down to look at a flower, to chat with a friend, to pat a dog, to smile at a child, to read a few lines from a good book. Slow me down, Lord, and inspire me to send my roots, roots deep into the soil of life's enduring values that I may grow toward your greater destiny. Remind me each day that the race is not always to the swift, that there is more to life than increasing its speed. Let me look upward to the towering oak and know that it grew and grew strong because it grew slowly and well. The church where we're at has 14 campuses. They have 20,000 people show up every morning, every week for services. And Rick Warren stood and he said, don't expect to be that next year. 
says, I've been here 40 years. It takes time. And the first few years weren't that fast in comparison. But it multiplied as time went on. And so we prepare to see things happening, but slow down. You see, we have to take into account our lives and the busyness which overwhelms us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, it talks about some of the things that we can do. And number one is our nation. First of all, man, Ephesians, or 1 Timothy 2, beginning through one verse, the first verse through the fourth verse, it says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. We should be praying for one another. Um, they are to be made in behalf of all men for kings or presidents or governors or senators or congresspeople and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I think the very first thing you can do every day is begin with the study of the word and prayer. Get right with God to start. And, and then you, at the end of the day, pray again and come into his presence. Take the issues that you have in your life that are causing you to be stressed out and lay them at the feet of the Savior. He says he'll take care of them. We know that verse in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 where it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer. Anxiety causes stress through prayer and thanksgiving or prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And it says the peace of God that you and I can't even begin to understand is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise from the Lord. In the book of Isaiah, Another passage, Isaiah 26.3, it says, But the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. When we are struggling with those stress issues, it simply is an evidence that we are not trusting God. And we're trusting in ourselves and our abilities. We get so busy, so busy, and it says... We are to remove that drama. How many of you have drama in your life? Don't raise your hand. Every middle schooler in high school should say, yeah. <laughs> and every parent, drama. You know what? We can't slow down. Have you noticed that? We can't slow down. You sit down and all of a sudden you think of something to do. I've got to do something. I've got to get up and take care of it. I've got to do it. There's things I've got to get done. It's always something to get done. And if you don't have anything else to do, you pull this out and you begin to text or you check out Facebook while you're watching something else. I mean, we don't even have time to read good books anymore. We're so busy with all of the things like this. Do you know what on Facebook I learned? When I find out you're at the dentist and I got a, a map to his office, I really don't care. Some of the things that you show me are beautiful, and I love them. I'm terrible on Facebook. I do not write on it. I do not send messages. I, I don't add things to it. The things that you see with me are uh, what somebody else has done usually. I, I'm just terrible with it. But I, I look at it, and I see things, and I wow, that's cool. I like that. But Facebook will never build a relationship. You don't build a relationship 
until you quit texting and you pick up the phone and you talk to somebody and say, how you doing? And we've let other things take the place of it. And we're busy. Paul says we need to learn to live a quiet life. And I'll tell you, when we do that, we glorify God. We also find that our lives become more in order with where they're supposed to be. He goes on, and the next one's a good one. Um, Lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. Keep your nose out of mine. Really what he's saying, don't be a busybody. Don't get all caught up with what everybody else is doing. Don't be a gossip. Don't pass it along. Three men went fishing. One was a priest, one was a rabbi, one was a Baptist minister. They were out there and they were putting their line in the water and boy, nothing was happening. They were in their boat and it was a little boring and finally one of them said, we're all, we're all ministers here, let's, let's pastors here, let's, let's confess our sins to one another. The Bible says confess your sins to one another, so let's confess our greatest sins. The priest said, I'll go first. He said, my greatest sin is that I have a problem with alcohol. I drink way too much. It affects my ministry. It affects my life. And I'm an alcoholic, and I know that. And I can't give it up, and, I can, and I, I've got a bottle right here, and I really want to open it. He sat there quietly, and the other two looked at him. Okay, we're sorry. We pray for you. That's, you know, yeah, we understand. Finally, the rabbi said, well, uh, yeah, I have a problem. I, I have a problem with lust. He said, I, I'm into pornography, and because pornography is carried on, and there's a lady that came to our uh, our ministry and uh, we got caught up with each other and I've had an affair and it's been going on for about a year and I can't stop it. And he looked down and it was just silent. They said, we're going to pray for you. We'll come alongside of you. We'll be your support team. Baptist pastor hadn't said anything. Well, pastor, don't you have something? No. Don't you have a sin? Finally, they got him to say his greatest sin. What is your sin? He said, my sin is gossip, and I can hardly wait to get back to land. (laughs) God said, you're not to be a gossip. You're not to be a busybody. You're not to be in other people's business. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Get the right one here. 3, verse 11. It says, For we hear that some of you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Do you know what leads to gossip? Oftentimes it's idle time. You're not busy enough. You don't have enough. And I don't want you to be busy, busy, but to have things of value going on in your life. Not things that have meaning. First Peter chapter 4, it, it has to do with spiritual gifts, but I think the principle can be used here. In First Peter chapter 4, verse 11, 
It was talking about people presenting the word of God. It says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And though we're not talking about spiritual gifts here, I think when we talk and the things we say and the things we say about others, we should ask, would Jesus have said that? Would Jesus carry that tale? Would Jesus have made that comment? We're not to gossip. Stress comes, I believe, when we get caught up with everybody else's life and we get stressed about what's going on and we get stressed if somebody's going to catch us in our gossip and what are we going to do and how are we going to respond and it destroys relationships. You don't be too busy and you don't talk about other people. Let me give you the third one. The third one this morning is that it says work with your hands. And I want to go a little more into that. It says attend to your own business and work with your hands as we commanded you. It's good to have a hobby. It's good to have a job. Maybe you're a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician. Maybe you use your hands in a lot of different ways. But it really, to me, you may do it as a craft or a hobby But what it's really talking about here is you need to have a job. You need to be working. You need to have an income. You need to be employed. And it goes on down here, so you don't have any need. The very last of verse 12, not to be in any need. I'm not going to have to go to somebody else and say, hey, can you help us out this week? We're hungry. We're not making it. That was a problem in Thessalonica. You know, they had heard that Jesus was coming back, and so some of them had quit working. (laughs) And they were expecting everybody else to feed them because the money had run out, the food had run out, and now I need somebody else to help me out. This distribution of the wealth program is really what it was. The social welfare. We're out of food and Christians, and you ought to help us. But it was because they weren't working. They had the ability to work, but they weren't working. Work is, is an honorable thing. Boy, I, I think we need to realize that, that God gave us work, and he expects us to work to care for ourselves. The people of Thessalonica had gotten to the point where they didn't work some of them because they knew Jesus was coming back, and, and so they were just kind of waiting, and they didn't know when it was. And, and even the question we're going into next week is, when's he coming, and how's he going to come, and what's going to happen there? But in Acts chapter 1, they had asked Jesus when he was going to return. And in in Acts chapter 1, in the 6th through the 8th verses, Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven. He had been here on earth. And it says, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's none of your business right now. Just know that he's coming back. And then he says, here's what I want to talk to you about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, where you live, in Judea, in Samaria, the surrounding communities. And even the remotest part of the earth. In Brentwood. And the Delta area. 
and even the remotest part of the earth. We are to be witnesses. But our lives should show that witness. Work is a good thing. We aren't to just be caught up in giving up our lives until Jesus comes back. I remember about in 1975, uh, I was in the building business. I was a general contractor. Uh, We had a company that built all of our cabinets and there was a salesman we had worked there or worked with for quite a while. And one day I went in to find out where he was so that he could take my order. And they said, oh, he doesn't work here anymore. I said, oh, really? Where, where is he? They said, well, he's a Jehovah's Witness. And they believe the world is ending in 1975. And so he sold everything. His home, he quit his job. He has nothing to do. It's, today it is 2000. Anybody know the date? 19. And Jesus didn't come back. And the world didn't end in 1975. Harold Camping said it was going to, Jesus was coming back a few years ago. He didn't. Do you know what Jesus said? Nobody knows the exact time, but you need to be ready. You need to be prepared for when Jesus comes back. We're going to talk about it next week when we talk about the rapture. But you don't quit your job. You don't quit witnessing. You don't quit being someone going out to others. You know, back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Jesus had created man. He'd placed him in the garden. And in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. That was before the fall of man. It was an honorable thing to work. That God expects us to work to take care of this world that we live in, to earn a living, not to have to rely on others. Now, there are some people, things happen in life, whatever takes place, and they need help. Do you know what the Bible teaches us? And I'm going to tell you that in a minute. teaches us to help them. We come alongside. But if they can work, that's what they're supposed to do. They're to work. Back in 2 Thessalonians, I want to go back there in chapter... uh, 3, verses 10 through 13. Chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, it says, For even when we were with you, you used to give, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. You're doing no work, but you're work at all, but acting like busybodies because you don't have a job. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion. There it is, just like the passage we're studying in 1 Thessalonians. Eat their own bread. And as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. So we are to get a job. We are to work. We're to take care of our family. You go back to 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it talks about the importance of, of caring for those who are in your family. It says, honor the widows who are widows indeed, in verse 3 of chapter 5. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return for their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. So if grandma has a daughter or a son 
or a granddaughter or a grandson there to take care of them. Goes back to the family. Families to take care of their members. If they have that possibility, then they're to do that. Down in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. Wow. That's a, that's a hard one. You take care of them, that you might show your spirituality, your walk with God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Ephesians 4, 28, it says, He who steals must steal no longer. That means to take that which is not yours. If you didn't earn it, it's not yours, but rather he must labor. He needs to get a job performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have, this is it, something to share with the one who has need. It doesn't take away our responsibility to help those in need. It says when we have extra money, that's exactly what we do. We reach out to them, we help them, we care for them. It doesn't say not to take care of the poor. But if the poor or the individual can work, he needs to go get a job. He says, well, I can't find a job. There's all kinds of jobs in America. Well, yeah, but not what I'm trained for. I'm able to do this, and this is beneath me. No, you go out and get a job. My first job was picking strawberries for a farmer. I worked in a packing house. We've all had those jobs. And it's not enough to simply say, I don't want to work because it's not the kind of job I want. We go work. We go do what God called us to. Some of you are here and you're saying, well, yeah, but Andy, I'm retired. I've done mine. You're right. And man, I am so thankful that you can take the time and you're retired and you've worked hard. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible never uses that term. And if you're retired, it simply means you've got more time to serve the Lord. Here at church, Brentwood Bible Fellowship, we need you. They need you working over there with those little kids. What's better than a grandma or grandpa over there with our kids? See, we need to be doing that. There are jobs you can do. Well, I can't take care of them. I, I can't get around anymore. You can call the church on Sunday morning and you can talk to or Monday morning and say, Bryn, what prayer requests are there that I can be praying for every day for this church? And make it your job to be praying for the church and the people in the church and praying down through that, that list of people that we have. Wow, there's so many things that we can do to serve God. Every member, they told us down there, every member has a ministry. And every member has a mission. And we're to be involved. We're to be working. That's really what it says here. You want to do away with your stress? You get involved in the right things. I'll tell you what, if you've got a sufficient income coming in and you can pay your bills and you can put a little aside for your retirement, you don't have near the stress you have when you don't have that. Because when you got those bills hanging out there and you're not sure how you're going to pay them, that's hard. And so Paul says you need to go to work. You need to get a job. You need to live that life out. Let me share with you one more article. Man went to a physician. He was complaining of constant headaches. The physician asked him if he smoked. And he said, well, yes, I do, <laughs> said the fellow. And so he says, well, stop smoking. 
this physician suggested, and so he stopped, but the headaches persisted, and he went back. The physician asked him, do you drink? Well, yeah, I drink quite a bit. So he stopped drinking, but the headaches persisted. Are you engaged in physical labor that would in some way put pressure on your back? And the man said, well, yes, I am. And the physician said, quit your job. And he quit his job, and he took another position. But his headaches persisted, and every day the pain pulsed through his head. And finally he discovered that he was wearing a size 15 collar on the size 16 neck, and it's no wonder he had a headache. Sometimes it's just superficial problems that cause our stress, and we need to identify what they are and take care of them. But real life isn't like that. It's headaches and stresses go deeper right down to the very bone, and they touch the nerves of our security. But God says he is our present help in a time of trouble. God calls us to lead a quiet life. Get that drama out of your life. Focus on the things that are important. Don't be running here and there, helter-skelter. Your life out of control. Mind your own business. Don't stick your nose in somebody else's business. Easiest thing to do in the church, isn't it? Boy, to, to talk about other people. And then keep busy. Keep busy in a positive way. <laughs> Lead a quiet life doesn't mean that you're not busy. It simply means that you put your trust in God. To be busy is to carry on the work and the job you need to do. And sometimes you just need to sit back and rest too. And read that book. Take time to be with God. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for loving us. I, I know that when we live this way, we live a quiet life. We aren't out causing trouble. We aren't out causing friction. We aren't causing division and divisiveness within the church or with our friends through whatever the issues are that you Applaud that, Father. You say that's the way we're supposed to be. We're to live a quiet life, not a life where we're creating drama because of what we believe or don't believe. Father, a lot of people are stressed out because they're just too busy. They're going here and there. They can't sit down. They come home. They got the weekend. I got to go someplace. I got to do this. I got to do that. They get up in the morning and they got to get to work and don't have time for you. They come home at night and they got to get to bed and they're tired and they don't have time for you. Father, forgive us when that's our lifestyle. Too busy, Father. Sometimes we're too interested in what's going on in everybody else's life. Forgive us for that, Father, because it causes division and divisiveness. It destroys relationships. It can destroy churches. Father, if that's our problem, and it's easy to happen, and we don't even mean it sometimes, forgive us for that. And Father, help us to understand the importance of work. 
I think sometimes we give to people who really would be better off told to go and get a job and to earn money to care for themselves. But if we have enough, we also have the ability to help those who are truly in need. Help us to do that, to be generous. Not to have any need, Father. That would be the key for our life. Not to have any need. But to be able to help others in need. What a joy that is. And when we're living that kind of life, Father, when we are freed from the influences of immorality, when we are loving others as we should, and living according to these three principles, it changes and transforms who we are. Thank you, Father. I pray for each individual here that they would think about their lives and where are they and what's going on with them. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this message. Thank you for Paul and his availability to be used by you in spite of whatever he would go through, whether he was beaten and abused or people were giving him money to finance him and love him. Father, he went through it all, but he was faithful. Might we follow his example and the example of your son? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.